Hey, PT listeners, we've been working on something special at Tier 11, something that I can say without exaggeration or without hesitation will produce better ad optimization and increased conversions and have a profound impact on the amount of data you can send back to all your ad platforms. That includes Meta, that includes TikTok, that includes Google, and we call it X-Ray Tag. And it's only available to Tier 11 customers. A lot of businesses think that it's Black Friday, it's the holiday season, and once they actually get through that, then they'll worry about next year. Well, now is the time for you to start gathering all the data that you can to set yourself and your business up for success in 2024. X-Ray Tag replaces all the potpourri of pixels, cappies, cookies with one single implementation that sends higher quality first-party data back to all your ad platforms. In fact, in our early testing, we've seen a 40 to 100% increase in event matching quality, aka EMQs in Meta, which translates into better ad optimization and increased conversions. So if you feel like your ads are flying blind, head on over to tier11.com forward slash x-ray to get early access. Clients to sign up before the end of the year, move to the front of the line, and we are only offering this for the PT listener like yourself. So head on over to tier11.com forward slash x-ray. Don't miss out. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 297, fast approaching 300, co-host Amanda Powell from Austin, Texas. How are you today? <laughs> oh, doing, doing good. I know. I can't believe we're almost there. This is crazy. I know. It's nuts. You have sort of a mini announcement to make, like a change in venue where you're taking your talents to. Yeah. I think, yeah, this seems like a good time, especially given the guests that we have on today. But I have officially accepted a role as head of content at Boss Babe. Yeah. So I am extra excited to chat with our guest who's on today because we're gonna be able to chat all things content. This is like my jam. <laughs> it's a content mashup here in <laughs> Perpetual Traffic. We're really excited to have Jimmy Daly here. He's the co-founder and CEO at Superpass. And he was also the VP of growth over at Animals. And we wanted to get him on the show here today because we are big fans of content. And obviously through a lot of the things that we've discussed in the last six months here, Content seems to help conversions quite a bit. It's not necessarily just a traffic tool, Amanda Powell. It is definitely is both things. So uh, we wanted to get Jimmy on the show here to, to share his expertise and how he's been able to, to build Superpath, but also how he uses content in a really uh, unique way here. So welcome to Perpetual Traffic, Jimmy. Thanks. I, I'm really excited to chat with you guys and congrats on the role. That's very exciting. We'll have to we'll have to dive more into to that later on. I would love to know more about what that job is going to entail. Also, if sorry, I can't help myself. You have to come join our Slack community. Yeah. He's pitching already. Yeah. It's only five minutes in. I love Except this. I'm already, like, I'm for it. Like, I'm already sold. Yeah. Where's the link? No, that's awesome. Well, you guys can certainly connect over there. So we'll obviously tell you a lot about what Jimmy does over at Superpath. Give us an idea of sort of what the evolution was, like sort of how you came to be co-founder and CEO over at Superpath and what they really do and maybe touch on your, in your time over at Animals, which we're big fans of. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Superpath is is a couple different things. The, the main thing that we offer is graduate level training for content marketers. So we have a paid membership. Folks who are part of that get courses. We do networking events. We do office hours, stuff like that. We do exclusive content. And then we also have a job board. So those are our two primary revenue sources. The job board is exclusively focused on content marketing roles. And then kind of underneath that, there's an infrastructure of content marketing. We have a very active Slack community. The Slack community in many ways is really like the, the foundation of the entire business. And that's actually how I ended up leaving animals was that Slack mm-hmm. community. So if we rewind a couple of years. I was VP of growth at animals to content marketing agency. And I was finding in my own work, in my sales calls, I was doing with our prospective customers and talking with the rest of the team. Like people had a lot of questions about their own career tracks, how to develop skills to advance their careers. They didn't necessarily understand like what the path was to go from content manager to whatever, what's next head of content, then what is it director of marketing? Is it CMO? Mm-hmm. What if they want to be an individual contributor? What if they want to start a freelance business? Da, da, da. They had all these questions. And I was like, we should start a Slack group and we can talk about this mm-hmm. stuff. So I kind of just on a whim started this Slack group and it, it wasn't a hit, but people really liked it. We didn't have a ton of people, but there was really cool conversations happening there. I didn't really put any effort into it. And it just sort of slowly was growing and growing and growing. And then one day, my boss, the CEO of Animals at the time, a guy named Walter Chen came to me and said, I think there's a business here. You should go start a business built on this community. And I was like, are you kicking me out? Like, I like my job. <laughs> You're fired. No, starting on the company. <laughs> and so it, it became this kind of interesting thing where he was at that point ready to step away as CEO. He appointed a new CEO, a woman named Devin Bramhall, who I worked closely with, which was amazing. And then he said, I'm going to help you start this other company. So we had like a gosh, maybe like six months of lead time to make all this happen. All the while, animals is growing, COVID happened, everything, things were just so in flux. And there was definitely a moment of like, are we sure? Are we, are we really going to do this? We're going to like kick me out at this period where like, we don't know what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, we decided we're going to stick to our original plan, which we did. So Walter is, has, like I said, stepped away from his CEO at animals he now has started slash invested in a number of different companies. So he's more of like an advisor to me. I'm really the only day-to-day person working on Superpath. We started this in June. It's March. So what, nine months or so into this. And yeah, it's been, uh, it's been quite an adventure. I'm sure we can talk more about that, but that's kind of a, it's kind of the gist of things. This is so interesting to me because I feel like that is a question that a lot of content marketers ask of what's, what's the next step for me once I'm a content manager? Because I think the question is, is, when we look at like C-suites and it's chief marketing officer and chief operations officer, but there is not really a place for content. And the more in the industry that you see marketing being split from content and the two functioning separately, there is kind of like ambiguity in where do I go next in my career and do I need to start pivoting? Which I think is really sad because I'm obviously have an SEO background and content is really my passion. So that's really the trajectory that I've always wanted to stay. And I love marketing, obviously, and I've worked within the marketing you know, department. But when people have a passion and their zone of genius, that's what you want to stick to. And I find it really interesting that you're creating this community. And I think that's why it's working so well. But, you know, what's your strategy in terms of one, growing the community and kind of starting over from scratch. I know before we started recording, we were chatting about how my whole team at DM was talking about how what a content crush they have on animals. And you really grew that brand to an incredible place. So when you have to start all over, have you like taken a different track? Like 
what's your thought process in starting to grow an entirely new content strategy and also in a different market? There's so many things. <laughs> There's so many things. This is why I'm so excited, y'all. I think I just shot 20 questions at you. <laughs> you at once. We can do them one at a time. In some ways, it's, it's completely different. In some ways, it's exactly the same. So like, mm -hmm. I spent about three years at Animals. And when I got there, we had no blog. It was a very small agency. Mm. Maybe we had seven people or eight people. We had, we didn't even have a website. It was just nothing. And everything, it was just growing on word of mouth. And occasionally people would ask us like, you're a content marketing agency. Like, why aren't you growing on the back of content marketing? And we were like, we don't have time. Like we're actually like, this is one, we're trying to figure out how to make this business work. And two, we don't need it yet. So we're mm -hmm. going to wait. Eventually we were able to start a blog. So I started the animals blog in January of 2018 kind of from scratch. I mean, the thing we yeah. did have was a reputation among our, at that time, pretty small group of customers as people who really understood content marketing and who did really good work. But that was like 50 people. <laughs> so that's not like, that's not an audience quite yeah. yet. At that time, we basically had to figure out like, what is our story? Like, what is the thing that we're going to like hitch our wagon to uh, that's going to make all this work? And in that case, it was basically like, we think content marketing is broken and we're going to take like a much more sophisticated approach to it. Like, content is not just traffic. It's yeah. not just white papers. It's not just this or that. It's a lot of different things. So we're going to give you that like kind of sophisticated, like complex approach to content marketing. And people love that. Like people ate it up. And it was this beautiful thing because like in our day-to-day -day work with customers and in our sales process and all stuff, like we're constantly finding more and more things that we can then go and write about, which is, mm -hmm. which is cool. Starting Superpath wasn't, wasn't all that different in the sense that like I had to come up with like, what's the thing that is going to kind of tie all of this together? I would say I'm still kind of figuring that out, which is <laughs> a little bit of a challenge. Like the thing that I have, I was sort of focused on primarily for the first couple of months was that this hypothesis that content marketing is actually uh, one of the most valuable skills you can have in the mm -hmm. tech world. And I could point to a number of examples of people who have gone on to have very successful careers who started as content marketers or writers. Maybe they stayed on a marketing track. Maybe they went off to start a new business. Like mm -hmm. I'm kind of trying to like, use myself as an example of like yeah. content marketer gone entrepreneur sort of thing. Yeah. That's proved it's actually to be a little bit challenging because the nature of our business has shifted a little bit mm -hmm. since we started it. So I feel like I'm, if I'm being very frank, I'm trying to like recalibrate a little bit mm -hmm. because what we're doing now is a little bit less focused on career development, which is mm -hmm. what we started on and a little bit more about training for content marketers mm -hmm. and content teams, right? Like the primary difference being who pays for it. Mm -hmm. Does the individual pay for it because it's about their career or does the company pay for it because they're trying to level up their team? Mm -hmm. And so the story is evolving a little bit. I would say in each case though, the story is really the thing that matters. And if once, once I think once we like really nail that, things are going to start happening faster. We've done a lot of content work in the meantime. And part of that has helped me kind of find my way a little bit like, okay, that's not quite right. This is too far that direction. This feels good. I'm still kind of putting the pieces together there. And I know that might not be like the most satisfying answer because it's like, you have a startup, you should have your pitch nailed. <laughs> but my honest answer is like, I thought we had it nailed. Turned out we didn't. Now I'm trying to figure out again, like really, really what is our message? If your business is going to grow and your business is going to be successful and you're hell bent on a certain track, then you have to be able to be flexible. And Ralph, you talk about this all the time about how Tier 11 was originally an ad agency and you've grown into a creative department and being able to help people focus on the back end of the funnel and not just the front end on, on the ad side. And I think that's what's really important about a business. And I find that starting a Slack community in terms of content is really interesting. And are you using that in, in a way of user-generated content? Or here's my ultimate question. What 
about a Slack community made you think that, oh, I should start a business around this, <laughs> around this. I think that's yeah, what's yeah. really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I would be very interested to hear that. Like, that was- <laughs> Not okay. necessarily monetized, but like how did it evolve into a business? Definitely. So I still don't monetize. Well, I take that back. I monetize the Slack community in, in one way. We charge money to post in our job listings channel. That's it. Otherwise it's free. I spent my entire career working in content marketing. One of the things I got to work on at Animals was sales. So it's a small company. You end up having your hands on lots of things. Oh, yeah. At one point, our founder <laughs> was sick of doing sales and he was like, Jimmy, you're doing sales now. I'm sick of this. So... I spent two years doing sales at Animals because just the nature of startups. And wow, I learned a lot from that experience. Selling content, I learned more selling content than Putting I ever did. Being a content marketing person in sales, that, that's a new one on me. I think I can't imagine doing that. It's terrifying. <laughs> it, so I was terrified. I was totally terrified. It ended up being so much fun. I loved it because <laughs> the nature of the work was basically free consulting. But like, if you reach out to Animals, we're going to jump on a call and I'm going to have two dozen questions for you about content strategy. We're going to be brainstorming Mm. ideas. Like if it ends up that it's a good fit and we work together, great. If not, like that's okay too. Uh, And that was very much the attitude that we approached it with. But throughout that process, I learned how to sell Mm -hmm. and I liked it. I really liked it actually. And one of the things that uh, working in content marketing, I didn't never, I never really got like all that great exposure to was Mm. like the actual transaction. Not the conversion, but the transaction, like when the money changed hands. And so being on the sales side, when it's like, we go from lead to conversation, Mm -hmm. to statement of work, to invoice, to invoice paid, to Mm -hmm. onboard, like, I love that. I just found that whole process to be like kind of addicting, honestly. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I sort of started looking around and the rest of like my work life and being like, what else can I sell? This is fun. Amazing when it (laughs) happens. It's like, it's just magical. Like you created this thing out of nothing and people are giving you money. (laughs) Yeah. It's awesome. It really is cool. cool. And the, probably the biggest difference between working for a company and doing something on your own is like within the company, we have this infrastructure so I can sell something and then I hand it off to somebody else. And there's a team that takes care of it. Great work. Well done. (laughs) And then I started looking at our Slack community and kind of noticing the types of conversations going on there and thinking like, I feel like I could help these people. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. there's career questions. Like I feel like I could help people have content strategy questions. I'm like, Mm -hmm. maybe I should build a course on that. And then somebody has a question about like, uh, whatever other thing. And I'm like, the brand, my brain, the gears are turning. I'm like, maybe we should have a membership and we could, we could have office hours and we could brainstorm these things together and da, da, da. And I started thinking like the, the sales part of my brain is like, there's something here. Like mm-hmm. there is a, an opportunity here for sure. So that's kind of how that started to evolve. The, obviously the challenging part is you start doing it and then you also have to do the fulfillment piece. There, there's, <laughs> you can't hand it off to anybody. Yeah. That's really challenging. That honestly has been the biggest challenge. Just like the time, how do you balance the time? Cause you got to mm-hmm. sell, you have to do all your business development. You got to do marketing. But then you also have to do all the work on the back end. Interestingly, my co-founder Walter the other day was, he was like, you know, I feel like you've been really quiet on Twitter lately. You used to tweet so much. And I feel like that was actually really good because it like kind of created awareness for Superpath. And I was like, dude, I have so much work to do because I got to do this whole other piece of it now. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Anyway, sorry. Another long answer, but it, kind of the gist of it was like, yeah, I, I, once I got that like sales thing in my brain, and even still, like I'm having a conversation with someone later today about starting a newsletter for ultra runners for the same exact reason, because I like, I see the opportunity and I'm like, I can't just let it be like, somebody's gotta, mm-hmm. there's no good newsletter for this group of people. Hey, let's create it. And then we can do sponsors. Maybe there's a premium version. Da, 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 da. So anyways, it's fun. It's fun to work on this kind of stuff. And I'm glad that I had that opportunity to like, kind of understand a little bit about sales so that I could kind of apply my marketing and sales brain together. I feel like the obvious question now is, do you find now that after working in sales and having to go through 
that process of collecting, collecting payment and the invoice, do you find that you're approaching your content differently now that you know what's happening on the back end and like in what yes. ways have you pivoted? Okay. So when I started working in sales, okay. So I worked in marketing my whole career mm-hmm. and I would say that I've now come up with a term for my experience, which is that I lived in the content cocoon, which is mm-hmm. this very warm, safe place where content marketers can be creative and yes. pursue editorial projects. <laughs> and they're not super focused on what the business needs because they've got this beautiful idea and whatever. So then I find myself working in sales and I'm immediately looking over my shoulder, like, can I get some help over here? Like I need marketing help. <laughs> yeah. And I realized that I wasn't even providing the marketing help that I needed for my own sales mm-hmm. work. You know what I mean? And then I was like, have I been doing this wrong my entire career? Like I've never talked to a salesperson at a company I worked at, but they're on the front lines. They know exactly what's going on with customers and prospects and whatever. And I wasn't even plugged into that. I had no idea. Here I am chasing keywords. I don't even know if they're helping the sales team. <laughs> yep. um, and so, yeah, I feel like my perspective on that has changed quite a bit. I feel like I actually do not, I don't, I don't do that much marketing anymore. I mean, I would like to do more. I don't have time to do as much as I would like, but I don't actually find that I need as much of it either. Mm-hmm. Right. So like part of that is the, you know, kind of like Ralph said, that fulfillment piece takes up a ton of time, but like I spend more time now on, I guess what I would describe as like business development. Like I've got an idea. Uh, I'm going to do some research on this. I'm going to schedule a couple calls with people to try to get feedback on this idea. I'm going to build a landing page for it. I'm going to test it out a little bit, see if anybody likes it. I'm going to mess around with pricing. I'm going to like, what are the deliverables? Let me figure that out. That stuff is super fun to work on. I feel like the same part of your brain, you kind of apply that same part of your brain, but the output ends up being different. I've also tried to find like some kind of like, like workarounds to marketing. It's like user-generated content for sure. Mm -hmm. Like Slack community in itself is kind of user-generated content. Like sure. That is uh, in many ways, like that's my top of funnel. Once people are in, like the community kind of just takes it from there. There's so much good stuff happening that I don't have to be like writing blog posts to keep people's attention. There's already mm-hmm. stuff happening that does that for me. But then I've tried to do a couple other things too. Like we do surveys in the mm-hmm. Slack community and then we publish the results. So stuff like that. It's like an easy mm-hmm. win. So I'll, a survey might be like simple things like what's your biggest content marketing challenge? And then we publish a blog post about that. And then we have started another thing called the 100K Club. Mm-hmm. So if you work in content marketing and you make six figures, we like invite you to join our anonymous club mm-hmm. and uh, you basically fill out a form and tell us about your career and what your salary history has been and what skills do you rely on? And do you have a mentor and stuff like that? That's been a hit. It's been a total hit. Mm-hmm. So like that kind of stuff is like taking a, a lot of the burden off of me as the, as the marketing person kind of keeps the attention pointing in our direction while I can then kind of go and work on like all these other things that I've never really had to work on before. I like working on them, but it's like, it's a lot of work that I'm just kind of not used to having on my plate. Mm Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The Slack community is a, it's an interesting thing. I don't think we've ever talked about Mm -mm. that type of pathway to create community on this show since we've been doing it for five years. I know a lot of folks do it and we were, we were thinking about starting our own membership site. We said, "Our right, should we do a Slack community? And then we just defaulted back to Facebook, a Facebook group, which mm-hmm. I never am really that great of a fan of. It's on somebody else's platform, can be yep. taken away easily, all that sort of stuff. Hard to collate mm-hmm. content, but you know, our, our we run our two companies on Slack. Like without Slack, yeah. I don't know what the heck we would do. So when you talk about creating that community, and obviously you had some momentum coming over from animals, like what... Like, how does it work and how, what could you tell to people who say, all right, well, I'm thinking about sort of having this either as a part of my business or in your case, it sort of started the business. Like, what recommendations do you have just in general for a, a Slack community and 
how do you get it to the point where there's actually momentum? Like you're saying, I'm not even in there all that much. It's like the content is created by the users, which is the best of all worlds. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about that. Totally. The community stuff is such a rabbit hole. It's, but it's so interesting. I think the first thing I would say actually is like, consider not using Slack. Slack is a double-edged sword and you end (laughs) up with a lot of the same, not owning your platform issues Mm. that you do with Facebook and other sites. Because at this point we have 2,200 members. We're on a free plan. How'd you do that? <laughs> I didn't realize that was an option. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is kind of the, the the challenge and the beauty of Slack. Everybody has it on their desktop. So it's actually pretty easy to get people to join a new one versus signing up for like maybe a Discord group, which like for developers, like that's pretty common. For marketing folks, it's not. Or there's lots of other like Circle is a new, a new-ish like community tool. But there's this friction associated with like, well, there's no desktop app. I've never used this before. Do I keep the tab open? Like Slack is just there. And so people have it open. That's good. Mm-hmm. The problem is there's been 90,000 messages posted in our Slack group. 80,000 of them will never see the light of day again because the free plan limits you to only your most recent 10,000 messages. Uh, that's a huge problem because there's that. that's almost at this point, 90% of the content created is gone. And wow. I've thought long and hard about moving, but I, I worry, I have to balance out like how many people would I lose if I make that oh. switch who are just not going to, join because mm-hmm. it's a different tool versus like, okay, I'm going to get more people this way, but we're going to not as much content will be there. I don't know. Cause at this point it would cost us like five grand a month to just pay Slack to keep all of that, which I don't really want to do. So yeah, I don't know. So there's that. That's, that's a challenge. Some of the new tools that are coming out are really good. If I was going to start from scratch, I'd was your Black Friday Cyber Monday not quite as great as you wanted it to be? Did you feel like you were leaving money on the table? You knew you could have made more sales, but you just didn't know where that money was lying on the table? Well, it's probably because you have some blind spots in your business. We here at Perpetual Traffic want to make 2024 your best year ever. And now is the time to plan for it and set yourself up for 2024. It is not after the first of the year because by the time you actually start doing your planning after January 1st, you've already missed a month. So get that planning done now and do it on us. We are giving away 10 free audits, which goes through all of your ad platforms, all the platforms that you're spending money on right now, or maybe the ones that you're maybe not spending money on, but we feel that there is a great opportunity for you to spend and scale and grow. We'll also look at everything after the click for your CRO, your conversion architecture, as we call it. We'll even analyze your email sequences. And most importantly, we'll look at your data how you're actually capturing visitors information and how it's tracking all the way to your CRM or whatever your source of truth is. And we do this through a comprehensive audit where we rate each section of your customer acquisition path, give you a rating, and then give some recommendations as to what you should do in order to have 2024 be the best year ever. Now we're only going to offer this for 10 lucky businesses in the month of December. Okay, that's it. That's the only capacity that we have. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash audit. Fill out the form and let's make 2024 the best year ever. Probably start with a different one. So that's one thing. Another was that when I started this, it was really just because I thought it would be cool to do. I had (laughs) no business ambition (laughs) whatsoever. So I never measured anything. I didn't, I mean, I, I guess I, I lightly recruited people I knew and liked because I just like wanted to be able to talk to them, Mm -hmm. but there was no like 
acquisition plan. There was no, I didn't kind of like muck it up with all the marketing stuff that I think would set expectations for it that then make you constantly wonder like, is this working? Is this like a, is this a valuable channel for the business? Like I wasn't doing that. It was just like, Hey, this is kind of cool. Like maybe this will go somewhere one day. Even now I like, I have to like restrain myself from overly analyzing what's going on in there and how quickly people are joining and how many are active and all that kind of stuff. Because I find the communities are kind of delicate in that Mm -hmm. sense. Like I've got a newsletter list and I don't treat it that way. I treat it like most marketers treat a newsletter list. Like I got stuff to promote. I expect a certain click-through rate. I know people won't subscribe. I don't really care that much about that. I use it like a marketing tool. Whereas the community, I don't use like that. I use it to foster goodwill more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And so some of that is is just like, I, I find myself thinking of like the Paul Graham phrase, do things that don't scale a lot because mm-hmm. I'm in there so often just like trying to help people out, trying to say, if they have questions, be like, oh, you need to talk to this person. And oh, I think I read this blog post. It'd be helpful. There's a lot of that going on. And I know that at some point those messages won't even exist anymore because we'll <laughs> hit, you know, the 10,000 message issue. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay. it's literally trying to help one single individual at a time. And I think that especially among our very early members, they kind of saw that they kind of saw this, like, it's just like people being kind to one another. At this point, we've like codified that in our community guidelines. Like that is like part of the deal. If you join, like be nice to everybody. That's kind of like our whole that vibe. Was my, trying that to was going to be my question. Is it like, I know that historically we tried to do a Slack community and it was a disaster because you couldn't <laughs> manage anyone. That was, so that's my question. Do you have someone managing the community or is everyone just like kind and follow the, the community guidelines or how do you manage so many people within Slack every day? It's just me. Pretty early on, maybe when we were at like 500 members, we had an issue with a member who I got some complaints about and I ended up booting this person and Mm -hmm. I kind of made a big deal about it too. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't, I was pretty transparent with what happened and don't ever like, don't, this is not welcome here. I think people liked that. Like I, Mm -hmm. every now and then I get a message from somebody being like, I saw this thing. I feel like you might want to know about it. And it's like, it hasn't been anything bad like this initial situation was, but it might be like, well, this person is just like shopping around for backlinks. Like, I don't really want that going on there. And like, but if there's like racism, sexism, any type of discriminatory behavior, like that stuff gets flexed super quickly. Mm-hmm. I kind of make a big deal about it. And then they also kind of like monitor pe- themselves, it sounds like. Totally. Like I'm finding that people are kind of invested in this. Like they mm-hmm. like hanging out here because they're learning stuff and they're connecting with people. They don't want that stuff in there either. Yep. And now I hope that I've shown that like, if you bring this to me, I'm going to deal with it because we don't want that kind of thing here. So at this point, I feel like this is a little bit dramatic, but I feel like we have this like army of content marketers who like Mm -hmm. all kind of want the same thing out of this community, which is Mm -hmm. like to learn and connect with people. And they're all kind of in it for the same reasons. Sure. Yeah. You could even probably get some of your users, like your power users to be free monitors for the channel itself. Like those monitors, just to help moderate, because obviously it's a, it's a tremendous amount of folks that are in there. One of the things I think that People, they listen to this show and I've seen this back when we actually had conferences. This is a while back. (laughs) Good old, good old days. (laughs) I always get this question. It's like, you guys have people on that are more established. They've already sort of done stuff. I'm just starting. Like, all right. So speak to that person. What is content marketing? Like what, what, why should somebody want to do it? And how do you actually do it? I think there's this fear of overwhelm. It's like, I'm going to write blog posts and nobody's ever going to see it. I'm going to start a podcast. We've had guests on here. Nobody's ever going to listen to it. Like, 
How do you start it? Take us through that. You've obviously been able to build, obviously, the, the Superbath community, but a lot of experience here. Like, what are those first steps in sort of getting that momentum going? Yeah, yeah. Is this like, is this for the individual to pursue content marketing or like for a business to potentially add content marketing to its to its marketing. I think adding content marketing to to a business and yeah, how do you start sure. generating traffic? Because I know that's what we used to at DM when we're working with customers. They exactly like you described at Animals, like they don't have a blog. And then they right, start man. writing content and they're like, at what point besides like keyword research and how do you start generating traffic? And I think that's something really interesting that Animals did because the content is incredible, but it, you also, it seem, seems like you would also get a lot of traffic to the content you were building. Absolutely. I think a lot of people know they need to do it. Yeah. They just haven't done it because they're like, <laughs> they're so overwhelmed by that first step and it's going to take so long. So maybe speak to that yeah. type of personality. Definitely. There's a couple things. One is like with the animals blog, when we first started it, it's an audience of zero, essentially. Mm -hmm. Like right. we didn't even like day one, we're like setting up a CMS, like <laughs> plugging in our Google Analytics, like really yeah. starting from nothing. Right. We had to be okay for a pretty long time, knowing that the quality of our work was better than the numbers yes. told us. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is you, you kind of just have to internalize that idea. Like I think mm -hmm. folks have this idea that like, if I create great work, I will be rewarded with a commensurate level of traffic and that doesn't happen. <laughs> right. Yep. And you have to and be then, a little bit delusional, I think, to start anything definitely. from scratch anyway. So you do. Go ahead. Yeah. And the compounding effect of it ultimately ends up being that like, you can actually put out junk and get tons of traffic later on, <laughs> which is not necessarily yep. something to aspire to, but I think <laughs> when content marketers look around and they're like, this, I won't name names, but I, I can think of a couple sites that generate boatloads of traffic. And I look at their stuff and I'm like, this isn't good. It's just like, they've built up enough authority. They can rank for whatever they want. Yeah, That's a different, they're playing a different game than you are if you're just getting started. So mm -hmm. you have to, you're going the opposite. You're like, I got to put out the best stuff I can and expect almost nothing for it in return. Sort of the beauty of content is at a compound. So like in the couple years that I worked on the animals blog, we went from nothing to 10,000 readers a month to 20,000 to 30,000. And it built and build and build. And like, the site was going gangbusters by the time like this whole transition thing happened. Like it was finally reaching a point where we were like, this is, we now feel that the quality of the work is commensurate with the amount of traffic we get. That's pretty challenging though. And, and there's this, I think marketers have this tendency to overanalyze the numbers and say like, well, this post only generated X views. And so I think we need to go a different direction because it's not resonating with the readers. And like, that's not really true because you you need to give it enough time to mature. Mm. Content marketing requires quite a bit of patience. So that's the one thing. It's sort of like set your expectations pretty low. Choose one thing you're going to do and mm. do it for long enough that you've given it a proper chance to succeed. And I would say that's probably at least six months. Mm -hmm. It's definitely not two weeks. It's probably <laughs> not a year. Yep. It's probably somewhere around six months. So that's one thing. The other thing is, especially if you're just getting started, just put SEO to the side. Don't worry about SEO yet you got to write about what you know and you mm -hmm. have to, we actually came up with this whole kind of philosophy around launching a content marketing strategy at animals that we called movement first content. And it was basically our observation and recommendation that sites that start with nothing, start with great ideas and they build a mm -hmm. reputation for sharing great ideas. And then later on, they can layer on white papers and uh, case yep. studies and SEO and all these other things that they see on these bigger sites, but that stuff comes later. You've got to really codify your message, which is kind of like going back to what we talked about early on, like the part that I'm still like kind of trying to like put my finger on exactly for Superpath. So 
there's a few ways to do it. One is just like write about your subject matter expertise. So like in animals, like day in, day out, we're working with customers on content marketing. So yeah. like, that's what we're going to write about. We're going to yeah. like kind of find these, find these examples of situations that we're actually working on. And we're going to write about that thing. There's another version of it is where you kind of take people on the journey with you. There's good examples of this. Like Buffer was a great example. Yeah, oh, Buffer's content. If you yeah, go back and look at Buffer's good. very early content, they've done exactly this. Like they started totally. off writing about like, our journey from zero to 1K MRR. Yep. Now it's like, what is social media marketing? And they yep. can rank and get 100,000 views a month for that. Yes, article. that's so true. Oh gosh. A groove was another great example. They did this like journey to 100K MRR and they like documented the whole thing. In each case, it doesn't really have anything to do with scheduling your, tweet, your tweets yeah. or whatever. It doesn't have anything to do with your <laughs> help desk SaaS product. But like, these are just the kind of things that like are like, they're just interesting. Like it's something you can speak to because you're doing it. And it just kind of helps you gain like enough attention that you can use it as a loss leader for the thing later that actually is going to help the business. So that actually I think is a pretty good strategy for people who are just getting started. They don't, people don't really like that very much because they're like, well, what about this keyword? Like our competitors crushing us for, for these important keywords or whatever, whatever thing it is that they're kind of focused on. And it's like, you gotta, you gotta have that patience. Like write about almost anything, almost yeah. anything to get started. As long as it's something you feel conviction about, and you can layer that stuff on later and it's your life is going to be a whole lot easier. You know, yeah, rather going so true. versus going the other way where you're like, well, I got to rank for this keyword. So I'm going to put all my effort into this thing. And especially if your site is new and your domain authority is low, it's probably not going to happen. Gonna- <laughs> what if it's like a short tail, like low intent keyword and you do rank well for it and you get a bunch of traffic, but no one converts. Like there's all these things that like, those are problems for different, for not different, for, for bigger sites. So yeah. Anyways, in summary, start small. Low expectations, right about what you know. It's an important point because I'm trying to look for this stat, but I have it written down. The average blog lasts two months. So <laughs> That's amazing. I don't know where I ever picked that up, but I have it written in a list. I'm like, I have no idea, no reference on that one. I can't find it and we won't be able to. But anyway, so, but it takes about six months. I think that's sort of the average. You say, I think HubSpot says the same kind of thing. So it takes about six months and that's a long time to wait. It really is. And I think that's where people get frustrated is they hit that two month mark and they're looking at their, their stats inside WordPress and like, oh my God, I had like 20 people visit my site in the last week. And I don't even know, probably some of them are, are bots. So yeah, the yeah. point is like, it, it really is a long, it is a long tail. It is a long term mm-hmm. play here. But I think I remember... Uh, a movie that I watched back when I was actually starting and actually gave me a lot of inspiration was this movie, Julie and Julia. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it. (laughs) It was about this woman who basically does 365 days of Julia child recipes and she blogs about it (laughs) and about at month six to nine thereabouts, she starts to get like, it really gains momentum. But to mm. your point- Wow, like Ralph, she, I never thought about that movie from a marketing perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so good. It's like, I've watched it a couple That's of times. really yeah. interesting. <laughs> but the point is, is like she, ta- she wrote about something super mm. specific. Nobody else was writing about it. And at, like she had that crisis of confidence like all throughout like the first half of the movie. She was like, nobody's even paying attention to me. But because the premise was so good and it was interesting and she was really passionate about it, that's what made it successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she wasn't that's optimizing cool. for keywords. You know what I mean? <laughs> so back to your point, she's like, this is going to be interesting to a certain subset of people. And eventually she was featured in the New York Times and all this other sort of stuff later on in the movie. It's 
I'm not going to spoil the ending for you, but we'll leave a link to it in the show notes for you so you can get it on Amazon Prime. But yeah, I think it's a good, like, it is the long game, but then mm-hmm. you create something that you, is, you own, first off. It's on your domain. Like, this is your property. This is, you're yeah. not sharecropping on somebody else's land like you would on a Facebook group, which is, we love Facebook, but it's not your own. You don't control it. And this yeah. is something that you do control. It's an asset. Yeah. One other just quick thought on like the six month thing is you should, you should be able to point to some anecdotal evidence that the content is resonating pretty early on before Mm -hmm. six months. So like my friend, Sean Blanda, who runs content marketing at a company called Crossbeam is probably the smartest content person I've ever met. And he explained to me this concept that he came up with called the art museum. And the art museum is simply this idea that he keeps a folder on his desktop called Art Museum. And he takes screenshots of anything anybody ever says about the work that he and his team do. So that might be a tweet where somebody shares it and says something nice about it. It might be a Slack message from someone on the support team or the sales team who found the content useful. It might be from a customer, whatever, it doesn't matter, Mm -hmm. but it puts faces and names. It attaches those faces and names to the work that the content team is doing. That kind of stuff you should probably be able to find pretty early on. And I know that at yeah. Animals, this is kind of a whole separate thing, but like the strategy that we came up with was very kind of bottom of the funnel focused. We didn't really care about building a big audience, especially early on. We just really cared about like, how can we help out our sales process? And so we were, we were looking even in the first week about like, is this an article that we could mention in a sales call? Is there mm-hmm. an example that we could cite from the article? Could we use it as follow-up in, a, in an email? Did anyone say anything nice about it on Twitter? <laughs> did even, even our own team, did our own team find it to be helpful? Little things like that make a big difference. Sometimes that's like just the, just kind of like the validation mm-hmm. that content marketing needs to give it that runway, to mm-hmm. uh, give it the time to eventually mature into whatever bigger thing it's going to become one day. Just like those, those little moments, but it's got to be names and faces. Yeah, absolutely. I remember when I started my first blog, this is almost 15 years ago now. <laughs> and yeah, I haven't, it's now defunct, but I remember the first day I got an opt-in for like a summary of the blog post before that was like a cool thing. Like I put it in a PDF. I was like, Hey, you know, a little opt-in box in in there. I remember the first email address that I ever got. And it was about at the two month point when I was ready to give up. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. It was like, that was the thing that pushed me on Mm -hmm. to actually do it. Like that business ultimately failed. But the point was, is like, I remember that as like a really distinct moment. I remember my first comment (laughs) <laughs> which came after the opt-in, believe it or not. It was, and it wasn't the same person. It was two different people. It was like two people liked the stuff I'm writing. It was an amazing thing because it is the long game. You do mm-hmm. need screenshots and positive reinforcement to know that you're resonating. And if you get those, if you get even small ones, like chances are because they found you somewhere, that means there's a lot more people that are like that yeah. that are out there. And that should give you sort of some inspiration to keep the thing going that you're on the right path. Definitely. Definitely. I, I can tell one of the quick anecdote about that and then we, maybe we, I'll stop going on and on about it. But many years ago, I started a personal newsletter and I sent it every week for years. I surprised it for two years and um, it grew and maybe I had a thousand subscribers or something, but I don't know. Like the, the metrics weren't amazing. Like the open rates were okay. The click rates were okay. And so I decided to shut it down. So I sent, a, I sent an email out and I was like, this is the last issue. And I kind of explained, like, really enjoyed doing this. I appreciate you guys signing up. Like, this is my last issue. And probably eight or 10 people responded to that email. And they were like, hey, we really like this email. You should keep, you know, why are you canceling it? You should keep going. And I was like, "That's great." I never thought to ask anybody if they actually liked it or not. <laughs> I was only looking at the numbers. That was like six years ago. And I'm still sending the newsletter. So like, 
it, and oh, again, the newsletter kinda, continues. That's great. It continues. Yeah. That. And it's like, I just, that's awesome. I don't know. That's like, sometimes I think a content marketing thing where like the numbers are so available and it's easy to benchmark them. And it's mm-hmm. also very easy to feel insecure about whatever your numbers say, because everybody wants more. They always feel like it's not enough. And yeah, it's just like, but it's the people, it's the people on the other side that really tell you whether or not it's working. I think that was the thing that triggered into my mind. It's like, I would look at my mm-hmm. WordPress stats and that's all we had back then. But, and I'm like, all right, well, there's like 216 people that came to this site. And I wasn't really sure if that was true, but that's 216, provided that they weren't bots. There really weren't that many bots way back when. But the point is, is like, that's 260 human beings that actually are reading my stuff. And I always, always like, oh, it's, you know, never, I want it to be so much bigger and all this other sort of stuff. But like the point was, it's like, there's a human attached to every one of those stats. Yeah. I think, especially early on, you really do have to remember that. And whether it's a comment or whether it's a share, or whether it's a like or whatever it is, or an opt-in, it's like, it's all progress that keeps, uh, you got to be mindful of that to keep you going because you don't totally. want to be yet another blog or content site that just sort of ends by the wayside at the two months mark. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine like speaking to a room of 216 people. It's a lot you of people. I feel amazing about that. And then something point. about like, there's no comma in the number. So it's like not enough or whatever. Right. Right. You're all insecure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is, this is great. I think this has been fantastic. Honestly, I think it's so valuable to be able to talk to someone who's grown, grown content marketing from zero to nothing from nothing to something that's so valuable and also be able to create a community of content marketers that we we don't see very often. If anyone listening works in content, I'll plug it again. Perfect. So cool. So Jimmy, where can people best get in touch with you? We've mentioned SurePath quite a few times here. Is that the best place or something else that you might want to pitch? Yeah, no, superpath.co has probably Mm -hmm. got everything you need. We've got the membership, we've got an ebook, we've got job board, we've got Slack group, we've got the blog. We've got the newsletter. So <laughs> anything you want is, is all going to be there. 99% of it is free. And then I guess the only thing is Twitter. I hang out on Twitter a whole bunch, probably too much. But if you want to chat about content marketing stuff, that's another good place to do it. Cool. Where can they find you at Twitter? Jimmy underscore daily, D-A-L-Y. Jimmy underscore daily. Very cool. So we'll leave all the links to the show notes for this week's episode. This has been great. Super appreciate you having come on to, to perpetual traffic and, and guesting here. For all the resources and links that we mentioned here in today's episode, head on over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. This has been episode 297. Jimmy Daly, thanks for bringing it today. Amanda, I'll stay warm in Austin. (laughs) I'll try. (laughs) Hope it stays at 75 degrees. And Jimmy, more snow and surf and sand and sun out in Vail. Actually, stretch that out. <laughs> snow, more snow more out snow. in Vail. You can get the snow, we'll get the sun out here. How's that? That sounds like a good deal to me. Pretty good. So digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast episode 297. Until next week, everyone. See ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.